Nick, how are you today? I am doing well. Uh, I'm actually, uh, where I live, I'm able to walk outdoors right now because it's about 78 degrees and sunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not quite that here in the good old Buckeye State. Nope, I'll be there in, uh, in eight days. I'll be there. I'm going to come back to Ohio for some factory work or corporate work in my corporate office, and then I'm actually, every year I go to the state championships with a with my high school coach and a couple of good buddies, we all see each other one time a year, and it's that three-day weekend, and third weekend of March. One of the best weekends of the year, without a doubt. It is for me. <laughs> uh, Nick, let's start with this. Uh, when you think back to that magical run in the, in the winter of 94, what, what is the one thing that you remember most about that? Uh, it, it's really weird. Um, that that answer has changed over the years. I think a lot about it. I was actually just talking to my brother this morning, and I kind of got rid of all the memorabilia I had from that time because one of the things that started happening was I started remembering newspaper articles and media coverage more than the actual moments that we had. So for me, I'm, I'm kind of maybe odd the way I, my mind works. I got rid of all that stuff, so I didn't have any of that stuff to look at or read anymore. And, and it was just, I just remember the, the things that I remember in the moments. And, um, at this point in my life, I think probably the thing I think most about when I, when I think back about that run, I think back about the fact that we probably could have made a very similar run the year before, but our point guard was, was injured the entire season and had knee surgery and he wasn't with us. And so we didn't make that run. But at the same time, I think about if he hadn't gotten hurt, and some other guys didn't develop their junior year, like ahead of schedule, we may not have even made either one, either one of those runs. So I, I think a lot about just the the, the different things from the, the, those kids, sophomores, juniors, and senior years that all had to fall in line to, to put us into those positions. I just think about all the things that went into it uh, that have nothing to do really honestly, that they aren't things that happened on the court during the run. It's all things that happened leading up to those things. All right, so before we, we take a look at 94, let's talk about the build-up to that year. What, what were the – I mean, you touched on 93 a little bit. What were the years like before, uh, let's say, four or five years prior to 94? Yeah, well, if we go to, if we go to five years prior to that, uh, 1990 actually was my senior year of high school. I graduated in 1990 from Upper Side of the Valley. And, uh, I mean, we, we had been a strong basketball school for – Gosh, in 90, it was up to it was 24, 25 years. In the previous 24, 25 years, we'd only had maybe three years with a losing record. Uh, we had been Northwest Conference champions 10 or 11 times in those 25 years. Um, we had a really strong basketball tradition. And I know my senior year in 90, we won the, we won the uh, conference championship. But we never had had a ton of tournament success as a school. We'd been to the regional finals twice in our school's history and that was it really with all the regular season success we had had so um when those kids came in because that group that won it in 94 they came in that very next year as freshmen and there were two of them that were that were varsity players right away as freshmen uh jason williams obviously who was our who was the school's all-time leading scorer after he graduated uh six foot five center he, he came in and started varsity right away and then our point guard brad leonard uh came in and and he, while he didn't start right away he ended up starting by the end of that season his freshman year and uh, there was a really, really high expectation when that group came in. They were, they were as they came in as freshmen, they were, they were mostly men at that point already. I mean, there were three or four of them that were between six foot and six foot five. They were, they were a well-muscled team. They were very physically mature. 
um, and lots of talent on the football and the basketball football field and the basketball court. So the, there was a ton of expectation right when they first came in. And uh, I remember by the time they got to their junior year, uh, when Brad had gotten hurt, they had had some success in the regular season, had a little bit of tournament success in the, in the district, um, but never got out of the district. And people were starting to wonder if it was ever, hey, is this, is this going to be one of these groups that, at USV that has all this potential but kind of fizzles out? Um, and I think that's kind of where the thought and the, I, I remember anyway, the concern being, man, is this group with all this talent, biggest, most talented team we probably ever had, are they going to, are they going to fizzle like so many teams have in the past? So 1994 comes around and there's a new sheriff in town. Uh, Bill Elsall takes over. Uh, he takes over for, I believe Roger snap. Yep. Um, now correct me if I'm wrong. Was Roger an assistant at Western Kentucky at one point? He was, and he was, and he was a a junior college basketball coach as well in Texas. So this is one of the craziest parts when I was doing some research, and this is one of the craziest parts of the story to me of this team. Uh, Bill comes in um, and takes over for Roger, and Bill leaves a program in Botkins, who ends up being (laughs) at the state tournament in '94 uh, with you guys, and the other side of the bracket. Yep. It's kind of an un- unusual story. First of all, Nick, wh- why did Roger leave? Uh, Roger has has always had, and I, when I say this about Roger, this is not saying that he was there was anything negative about this. He always had some visions of going on to do things back towards the college level, whether it be as a college administrator, an educator, or a coach. And some opportunities came up in, into an area of the country with a little bit of nicer weather, I believe. And uh, it was a really great career step for him to move up into that next stage of his of his career, which is, you know, that had higher education piece what, and, and move on into doing those things. I don't know if you, you have talked to Roger past that, but I mean, did, did he have a feel that he was leaving a team that that could do something special? Oh man, it was. I remember the the in in '93 when we got beaten the tournament in the district championships by Crestview. Uh, that that locker. Now Roger was a talker already. Anyway, Roger was a was a southern gentleman with a, just a personality larger than life, and he would never shy away from an opportunity to to uh, to give a speech impromptu or or or, or pre planned. Either way, um, but that that locker room in '93. Um, it was a really talented team, and we had some real potential. And he spent probably close to an hour after the game in the locker room t- t- talking to the seniors and, and wishing them well and thanking them for their time, but really challenging that group of juniors um, that were going to be seniors the next year. Um, and, of course, he addressed the fact that Brad had sat out and that that may have helped us, but or if he had been in, it would have helped us. But um, th- there was – yeah, everybody knew, and especially at that time because the girls' team – if you remember in 90, they were back-to-back state champions in 93 and 94. Correct. So that girls team was loaded with athleticism as well. And everybody was, like I said, coming in as freshmen, the expectation was that this group of guys was going to bring us the first state championship. And when they head into that junior year or leave their junior year, you know, not even getting to the regionals. And then, and then, you know, Brad's health was up in the air. The point guard, we didn't know what was going to happen, but, but Roger knew like everybody else did, if, if this, if this bunch put it all together, they were of that caliber, not that it was a layup, but, but they were of that caliber to, to, to bring a state championship. So then Bill comes in, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Bill was only there for the state championship year? 
as as the head coach. Yes, he stayed on and taught at the school for the okay. oh gosh for for years after. But yeah, that was his last year of coaching. Now, was this something like he had planned to do? I mean, one year and and get out or? No, I, I think, and, and again, I, I, it, what went on in his mind, I, we've never really talked about the reasons for doing it other than, you know, when he says things, and right when the, the time period happened, he told the coaching staff, um, it kind of went like this. He, he never planned to be at USV. He had planned to remain at Botkins and be the head coach there. He'd been there for several years. Some things happened with the teaching certificate and, and being non-renewed, and some things happened there that were uh, unfortunate, I guess, in, in, in that moment, but very fortunate for us <laughs> from the standpoint of he ended up, you know, wanting to stay in the education field and to, to finish out until retirement. So we had a, a health and physical education opening at Upper Side of Valley and just so happened to have that head coaching basketball opening and it, it fit the bill for him. And then I think coming in, because he was, he was advanced into his career for several years, you know, you had that situation, and, and we'll talk more about the, the tournament run and how it ended up. But, I mean, just imagine if you're 20-plus years into coaching and you get that kind of a run and you win a state championship, and then you're looking at maybe, you know, five to six years left in your coaching and teaching career. Um, I, would, I would imagine the temptation to say, hey, man, this is, <laughs> this is the pinnacle. This is as high as it gets. Let's just let's just let this be the last memory of, of coaching. And I know that he did have a son who was who was playing and, and uh, didn't play at our high school, obviously played at another high school. But he wanted to spend some time watching his son and, and going in the summer ball with him with AAU and things of that nature. So I think the the fact that we, he hit the pinnacle late in his career, had a son that was coming along that he wanted to spend some time with, you know, focusing on his basketball. Uh, I think it just, it just added up to him to where even though uh, people may not have understood it or not liked his decision. For him, I think it was a really good – it was kind of an easy decision to make. So Bill inherits a team um, already well-established, obviously, with the likes of Jason yep. Williams and Sean Sanders, Jason Kearns, and Brad yep. Leonard. Um, take me through that 94 regular – like, was there was there anything from that regular season that jumped out to you? <laughs> yeah, it, it, this that bunch of guys in that class um, – I won't say that there was an assumption that the regular season wasn't going to be extremely challenging for them, but they had had enough on-court success. They were good enough athletically. Like I said, they were very mature physically. And for, for kids that age, 16, 17-year-old kids, they were, they were pretty mature emotionally. Um, they didn't get really, really high, and they didn't get really, really low. They just – I think they went through the regular season. It's almost – it reminds me of how some of the ways that, that a LeBron James or somebody would go through the regular season today, and it was like, we're going to go through this regular season. We're going we're gonna to do what we need to do to win games, but we're not going to get too worried about whether we're, quote, unquote, playing our best at any given point during this regular season. Um, and there were several times during the year where it was, it was honestly kind of frustrating as a coach when you see what, what you know you could be doing on the court and, and you're just a tick below that, that optimum output as far as the results go. Um, but, but it didn't – there was never a, a, a lackadaisical lazy nature about that team, but there was a, hey, we, we're in control. We got, we, we got this. It's going to be here when we need to do it. Um, and they were very um, – practices were extremely competitive from the standpoint of they, – they really honestly – yeah, this is how I should put this from the beginning – they were more concerned about beating each other in practice and, and those things than they were actually worried about, you know, dominating anybody on the court in a game for most of the season. Again, so there were certain games throughout that year 
that were were you know benchmark games. Whether you, when you you know when you play Crestview, who just beat you out of the tournament the, the year before, and you play them in the regular season, that was a very intense game. Uh, we played St. Mary's, who's a WBL school um, with a really strong record and a really strong team. We played at their their court. Um, that was the only team that beat us that year. They beat us at at their place, and that was a big game for us. That was probably the first game where I saw they got really really emotional after the loss. And uh, if I might tell that story real quick, when they beat us, we went into the locker room, and I was I was a young assistant coach. I was still in college at the time, so I was dejected and, and angry, and the other coaching staff, staff coaches were angry. The players were maybe pointing fingers a little bit because we lost a close game, and there were some plays down the stretch that that could have been, you know, decided the game. And they're angry, and everyone's kind of, kind of just, just the mood was down. And Bill also got in front of the room. He said, "Everybody, hold on a second. He said, "What were our goals at the start of this year? Was our goal to go undefeated?" And we pulled, we pulled the goals list out. Nope. Our goal was to win the Northwest Conference Championship. Can we still do that? Yep. Our goal was to go to the state championship. Can we still do that? Yep. This game doesn't matter. And it, it completely changed how those teenage kids and even the coaches, the adult coaches felt about how things played out in that game. And it allowed us to have some perspective about kind of just, okay, this game was a good measuring. Where do we stand for some things? And because the loss didn't actually affect anything with our season. So Nick, when, when was the loss to St. Mary's? Was that towards the end of the year? It was in the last quarter of the year, but but it wasn't, it wasn't right at the end. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was game number. Oh gosh. I think it was game number 14 or 16, somewhere in there. So it was in that last four to six games of the year, um, but it wasn't right at the end. So the Rams, so, so we, you make it through the regular season. You, got, you get your one loss to St. Mary's. And so the tournament comes around. Um, you end up beating, uh, is it Fort Recovery in the district? Uh, we Fort Recovery in the district championship, yeah. Dist- okay. <laughs> So you beat Fort Recovery in the district championship, and then you go on to play um, Finley Liberty Benton uh, in the regional semis. Yep. Uh, a game you inevitably won, 45-42. Um, ironically, the, the Eagles would go on to win the 95 Division Four state championship yep. in undefeated fashion. They were um, stacked. Yes. Uh, so when you beat Finley Liberty Benton, uh, Andy Butler was a junior, a third team All Ohio, but he would go on to be the Player of the Year in '95. Yep. What do you remember about that Liberty Benton game? I, I remember that was the first team all year. Now, and again, in the districts, we played St. Henry and Fort Recovery, okay. um, two two schools that historically have long, large, athletic, disciplined players, regardless of. of what sport they're playing, uh, whether it's, you know, girls or boys or anything else. Um, So, you know, that was some of the, you know, physical size wise, those, those teams could challenge us on the, on the tall end of the roster and they're big guys. And really they could give Jason a little bit of problems down low. When we played Liberty Benton, that was the only team I remember that we played all year that from, from across the board, they were taller, longer, and, and in overall more athletic than we were. Uh, it, it, that that as a, from a coach standpoint, that really scared me because we played a matchup zone that year. We we didn't really man up anybody. We played the Cincinnati uh, Bearcats twenty three matchup zone, and it really worked well for us because we were we were six seven six 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 three or six four across the baseline with long arms, and we could cover the from, from three point line to three point line, on, you know, in the backside of that zone. And then we had two really strong, athletic, although smaller guards 
out on the top of that who were who were great. But these this team had six seven, six five, six six, or whatever on the front line, and then their guards were six one and six four. Um, wow. That that concerned yeah that concerned yeah. me. Um, and Andy Butler was as everyone else you know saw the, the whole next year. Andy Butler was one of those rare breeds that I I, I don't know that anything could ever happen to shake his confidence in the fact that he was better than you. <laughs> and he approached the game like that. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, when you go back and just talk to maybe an average fan, you bring up that Liberty Benton team from 94, 95, and ultimately most people think that A.J. Granger was the best player on that team because of the success he goes on to Michigan State. Yep. But Andy Butler was the guy on that team. Oh, he he was the he was their dog. He was the, he was their their alpha. Um, Granger was obviously physically the, mo- the one of the most challenging uh, players to prepare for. But they also had two more guys down low. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm, the the last name is escape. I think I think it was Metzger was one of their their post guys who was a sophomore or junior, and he was six five and he could have played professional volleyball. It seemed like his his ability to to hop and then rehop on the rebound and get up and defend and block shots. Um, yeah, Granger was was the guy that got the attention because he was, you know, and again, later on he went on to play at Michigan State, and he and, and he so he had some notoriety there, but it, it wasn't AJ Granger's team from a standpoint of he he wasn't the the only thing we prepared for. That that team was stacked. So you get by the Eagles, um, and then you get Continental in the regional final, a forty three thirty three winner in that one. Uh, was there anything that jumped out at you about uh, the game with Continental? Yeah. Um, the, the first thing was I remember being in the hotel the, the night before when we, when, we beat, uh, when we beat Liberty. And then we, we went back to the hotel in Toledo that night and we, and we watched the final score. We, did, we stuck around and watched the first half of the Continental game. And they did not play really well in the first half of their game. And they were really small compared to us anyway. They were and much smaller than, than Liberty Benton. And I remember we were at the hotel that night, and, and my uh, brother was actually traveled with us uh, for that reason. And he and I had shared a room, and then Brad Leonard, our, our point guard, came running down to the room after the news came on, and they announced the score of the Continental game, and Continental won. And Brad was like, he's like, we're going to freaking state. I mean, he was like, <laughs> and we're like, like, dude, you got a whole other game to play. This is, he's like, yeah, but I'm telling you. And he, and he, he said this, and, and at the moment I was – angry at him because I thought it was disrespectful. He said, you saw him. We got this. And it was, I thought he was just discrediting and disrespecting them. And then when we got out and we played on the court against them, they, they played extremely hard and they were super confident. Our guys responded. I'll put it this way. The Liberty Benton game, our, our guys really, that, that thing I said earlier about how all year long they said, we, we got this when we, when we need it. I mean, we went against a team, and we knew they were better athletically than us, and we dug deep and made little plays and made smart plays. And we, there were things that showed that, my God, these guys really paid attention to the scouting report and studied up. And we, there were just certain things that we did all year long. That, there's things we did that night that we didn't see all year long, little effort and concentration and focus things. We did that to get by Liberty. And I think that's what Brad was saying when he's like, we're going to state because against this team that we were obviously better athletically than, we came out and we did kind of the same thing. We did the small little things smart-wise and effort-wise, even against a team that we were vastly superior to athletically. Um, so something happened, whether it was at the Fort Recovery game, I believe it was in and during the preparation for the Liberty game. Um, we clicked into a mode that was – 
it had nothing to do with athletic ability. It had everything to do with intensity and mental focus and, and little, you know, small detailed efforts. And that's what I remember about that game was we were obviously better athletically, but that's not why we won the game. So you end up beating Continental, um, like I said, 43-33. And then what I would uh, perceive as one of the, the best few days of, of any high schooler um, <laughs> and a community in general, you get, you get those four or five days in between winning the regional and then all the hype uh, leading up to going down to Columbus. How excited were the, the communities of, and if I get these names wrong, is it yeah. Roundhead, Alger, and McGuffey McDonald? Is that Round, the Yep, yeah, that used to be the school. Is Roundhead is one town, Alger is another okay. town, and, and McGuffey. So when they were three separate high schools, it was Roundhead High School, Alger High School, and, and McDonald, uh, McGuffey McDonald High School. And that's kind of where the name Rams comes from. Because so it was Roundhead, R, Alger, A, McGuffey, M. That, that's how we, we adopted okay. when, those, when those three schools consolidated. It was Roundhead, Alger, McGuffey, Schools, Rams. So it was probably a whirlwind for this community because you got, you got the girls um, in the midst of back-to-back state championships, uh, and they win it, and then you get the, the week uh, in between there uh, leading up to the boys' state turn. What, what was the atmosphere yeah. well, like and there? It actually, it actually started the same day we beat Continental because the girls were playing for the state uh, – they were playing the state finals on the day we beat Continental for the regional – in the regional final. We got in our vans and cars in Toledo, Ohio – as of the, the boys fans, most, a lot of the girls team and the families were already down in Columbus, obviously, but we had a huge turnout in Toledo and the entire community, including the boys basketball team and coaches have hopped into vans and cars and everything else and headed down 75 to route 23 and went to Columbus and walked into the gym right before tip off of the girls state championship game. Unbelievable. It I mean, was, it was, un, it was surreal. <laughs> and, and Nick, I don't, I don't think people realize, um, I mean, unless you grow up in, in places like that, like, what kind of feat that is for not only your boys program to be playing for a state title, but your girls team playing for a state title. I mean, that just, that doesn't happen every day. No, it, it has happened a couple different times in Ohio's history. That was the first time actually in, in the state of Ohio's history. And if I remember correctly, I think it had only happened one or maybe two other times in the nation's history. Um, unbelievable. And, That's unbelievable. And, yeah. And then you take into consideration just the size of the school. And now, you know, 25 years later, and it didn't even take 25 years to recognize it for, for those of us who, who went through it who were adults at that time. But, but man, j- just the, the experience and the things that have to fall into place to get one for one program, but to have back-to-back for one and throw in another one with the other side with the boys, I, I just, that was a 36-month it, – it, it spoiled a lot of people, but I think it really honestly now, 25 years later – you look back at it, and, and it's, there's, there's so much perspective that can be drawn from, from the whole three-year process. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. So you guys, you guys get down to state. Uh, you get to St. John Arena, and you have a little less trouble with uh, Bristolville, Bristol, defeating them 78-50. Um, now, Bristol, in this game, Bristol featured uh, Jeff Casson, a 6'8", uh, first yep. team all Ohioan. Yep. Nick, was this a game you guys played extremely well, or was the rigors of the Northeast or the Northwest District something that kind of had you prepared for this moment? Yeah, it's funny. We 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 didn't play well. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. I remember 
we had our last practice. We, we obviously our court back then at USV, the, the building has been torn down since there, but it was the, it was the gym that we all played in for the entire history of the school up until 1995. Um, the gym we played in didn't, couldn't, you know, you had, I think it was 11 inches in the corners for three pointers. That's what if you, if you wore a size 11, 11 or above, <laughs> you couldn't shoot a three in the corner. Um, and Jim was, and we had the restraining lines on the out of bounds. We had right. the over, over and back line that would, it was, it was tiny. So we had to practice in preparation for the, for the state tournament. We practiced, and even in the regions, we practiced at Ohio Northern University on a full 94 foot court. And the, the last practice we had before we headed to Columbus, uh, Coach Elsaw kicked us out. He's like, this is ridiculous. He, and he, he, I mean, I, his last words to the team was, you're, you're going to go down there and embarrass yourselves. This is going to be bad if this is how you're going to play. And uh, I think he kind of knew what he was doing and challenging them because we had shown so much in the previous two weeks of, of our resolve and of our ability to lock in and focus. And that focus slipped a little bit. Uh, in that practice, more than a little bit, because I remember the scenario with which <laughs> we were practicing for Bristolville's press, and our our second squad with a couple of JV players pulled up too, was turning us over like water. <laughs> they were turning the starting tip five over and pressing us, and he's like, you, and that's what he said. You're gonna get out here. You think you think, you know? And he talked about Cassandra. This kid's six eight. They got such and such. You're gonna embarrass yourselves. And uh, when we got on the court, we still didn't play real well. I think some again first time down there. I think some of it was jitters. Um, for whatever reasons, we didn't play well, but I remember walking to the locker room at halftime with my, I mean, I, I had my teeth clenched. I was angry. We were playing terrible. And my brother comes up from the sideline or the baseline. And he's like, what is your deal? I'm like, we suck. We're playing terrible. He's like, look at the scoreboard, man. We're up 15, <laughs> fifth, we're up 15 or whatever. We're up at half. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe we're going to be okay. But we, we honestly didn't really play that well. Um, I remember one of the guys I ended up coaching with years later, a guy named Ryan McClure, who's an administrator in the, in the Columbus area, one of the Dublin schools, I believe. Uh, Ryan was a, a college basketball buddy of mine, and, and he, he was teaching in that area at the time, and he's from Delphus originally. So he remember he was talking to the coach in Bristolville, and he was asking Ryan, like, what do you, what do you know about, you know, I th- I'm not real familiar with him. I've seen a little bit of tape. And he said, I, I don't, what do you think we're going to do? And he's like, you know, Jeff, I, th- I think you're in for some, I think you're in for some trouble, man. This is they're no joke. And he's like, well, I, you know, I realized they got some size. He said, but I feel really good about Casson. You know, his big, I think Casson's going to cancel out Williams on the inside. I think I think we're going to be all right there. What, what about the perimeter? And he's like, well, if that's your plan, then I really think you're in trouble. because I, <laughs> I don't think he matches yeah. up with him very well. And it ended up showing that. And that they were they were not a bad basketball team at all. They just if, – if they'd have played us in the regular season, they, they may have had a chance of knocking us off. And, and if we played them ten times, they might they, they would beat us a couple because they were extremely talented and, and extremely uh, – they played at a really fast, aggressive pace. Um, but even as poorly as we played physically, like so we, we were in a situation at that point where we had locked in mentally to the degree where, you know, if, if – if Sean Sanders was, was playing poorly, Jason Williams was going to pick up the slack. If, if Brad Leonard was playing poorly, Aaron Shoemaker was going to pick up the slack and make a play. So we, we just mentally were, were at a point where we were so dialed in that we, we weren't going to allow somebody to, 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 to sneak up on us. So you get by Bristol, um, and then uh, Worthington Christian awaits you uh, for a chance to win the boys' first state basketball title. Um, so you – the Worthington Christian Warriors uh, come into the tournament. They were unranked by the Associated Press, but we all know that that can be 
uh, quite misleading. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on Worthington Christian when you saw them against uh, Botkins in the semis? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, because of Bill's situation, Coach Elsaw's situation, having come from Botkins, and because our guys were kind of familiar with some of those kids from Botkins, we weren't even thinking about Worthington Christian because, honestly, we, were, we weren't assuming, but we just all kind of believed that, hey, Botkins is a better team. They're, they're going to win this, and it's going to be a battle. Botkins reminded me a lot of Liberty Benton from the standpoint of they had some really long, fast, super athletic kids um, their guards weren't quite as big, but they had some guys up front that were just super athletic and aggressive, and they played at a pace. We, for as big and athletic as we were, we weren't extremely deep with that kind of athletic ability, so we played at a slower pace. We controlled the pace and the tempo. Botkins, on the other hand, their, their pace they played at was – I mean, they, they would rip the ball out of the net on a make, jump one foot out of bounds, and baseball pass beyond midcourt and attack. And I didn't – I was I was a little bit scared of, of what Botkins presented for us, the same way I was scared of what Liberty Benton presented, um, except for Liberty Benton played the same style we did, and this team didn't. Um, so we really thought that there was no possible way that, that Worthington was going to keep up that pace. Um, and the weekly kid uh, basically showed he could keep up with that pace anyway. He was, And so when they won, we weren't we – weren't, uh, we weren't overlooking them, but we honestly were, were really thinking that Botkins was going to be the team that was going to, was going to win that game. Um, so our, our thoughts on Worthington Christian at that point, I, I, and this is where Bill was awesome. We did preparation for Worthington Christian, but the biggest thing we did for the next two days of that thing was we focused on us. We focused on who we are and what we do and just going in and being and doing those kind of things. You know, the things that we had done, there were some things we were obviously looking at personnel-wise and what their habits were and what their strengths were. But uh, we, we really focused on us and our focus. There was such a focus that Bill had on the, the, the emotional and the mental and spiritual, if you want to say, that, that side of what we were about to undertake. Um, his big thing after every practice, in, in, in the middle of every practice, after each of the games in the regionals and, and in every pregame speech, including the state championship, he just continued to, to shout and repeat at different times, you're the team of destiny, you're the team of destiny, you're the team of destiny. And, and I, I think more so than even thinking about Worthington Christian, our guys really started to buy into that. So it's interesting in regional and state play, you don't get a whole lot of turnaround and preparation. Uh, so it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, kind of focusing on you and what you guys do. Um, so you get into this game with Worthington Christian uh, and you find yourself down 45-31 in the fourth quarter. What's going through the head of the coaching staff, the players at this point? Um I mean, what? I mean, you're down 14. Uh, yep. Less than a quarter to go. Yep. Uh, I, and this is going to sound cliche, and everyone's going to, I mean, people will doubt or whatever. There, I don't know that anybody on the bench and nobody on the court had the thought of, damn it, that's it. It's over. It was always, and this is where this is where Bill was so awesome. It was the focus was next possession. I remember Sean Sanders got a steal out of a timeout and got a, a pseudo dunk. <laughs> he kind of he hit the rim, wasn't really a dunk, but he, but he got a th- he <laughs> yeah. got a three point play uh, on a steal, and that was that was the one play. And I remember when it happened, Elsaw turned around to the bench and he said, "That was the play, guys. That was the play. Here we go." And and from that point forward, um, it was it was literally one possession at a time. 
seemingly were because they didn't they didn't shrink away they didn't give it away they made plays and we did too but from that point on at about four and a half five minutes whatever it was we it was it was one little play after another um with really really good execution down the stretch you know as with any season um, especially with alpha males and athletes you have little little things that go on throughout the season where somebody may not be getting enough shots or somebody may not be getting enough credit or somebody's getting too much credit or somebody's getting and in that last four and a half minutes of that game it was every guy on that team down to the bench from communication on the bench to the way things were on the court every guy seamlessly fit into doing what his job was to do and it was it was as quick a four and a half minutes as I ever remember. Some interesting uh, notes about this Worthington Christian team you were playing. Um, on that particular day, uh, Todd Humrichhauser led the way with 18. Um, you hold uh, third-team All-Ohio and Tony Patterson to 12. Um, Jason Gunther ended up with nine. Uh, and then the affirmation Kevin Weekly uh, ended up with eight. Weekly would end up being a, a first-team All-Ohio in a 94 and – actually eventually takes over the head coaching duties at his alma mater uh, before the 2000-2001 season after a, a good career at Otterbein. He actually was only uh, a seventh-grade coach one year before taking yep. over for the uh, for at Worthington Christian. So uh, Weekly has now amassed over 300 wins as the head man um, at Worthington Christian. He is still currently there today. What do you remember uh, about the personnel of Worthington Christian outside of uh, a weekly, obviously being a very good player? Yeah, I, I remember the, a lot of the talking. Again, we did talk personnel. We didn't go over a ton of sets and things that they run. We went over personnel, and we, we obviously we knew weekly, and we we were concerned with Patterson because we hadn't faced that kind of that kind of quickness around the basket. He wasn't as big as Sean or Jason or even Jason Kearns, um, but he was super quick around the basket, and we thought that might give us some problems. We thought we could take advantage of some things offensively against him defensively because he was he was just not as strong. Um, but in, uh, to Bill's credit, again, the two guys he really talked a lot about, like we really couldn't uh, – was Gunther and, and, and Hummerkauser because you're going to focus on Weekly and you're going to focus on Patterson. Um, he was worried about those two, and they hit some humongous shots – um, like we thought they would or like Bill thought they would, simply because we had to react so strongly to, to Weekly and to, uh, to Patterson. But I, I will say, as far as Weekly goes, we were – and we didn't say it this way at the time, but we're lucky we caught him at the stage of his development that we did because our point guard, Brad, and, and then our two guard, Aaron Shoemaker, who was, who was not – he wouldn't be a two guard in today's game. He was, he was not an, an adequate three-point shooter. He was a tailback on the football team. He's 5'7 at best. Um, but he could get up around the rim, and he was he was super fast up and down the court, and he was really smart. Um, we thought Brad and Jason, or Brad and Aaron, could do some things with their experience and things they have to kind of kind of neutralize the the advantage that weekly may bring about to a lot of people. And I don't think enough people recognize um, the job that Brad and, and Aaron did. And we went man-to-man some that game, too, for the first time in a while. And, and the job that Brad did head up man-to-man on weekly, um, just making it so that he couldn't be the creator that he needed to be, even down to the last possession, um, the last possession of the game. I mean, they've got the ball in their guy's hand weekly, and he's got to go full court in and, and eight seconds, six, eight seconds, and, and make a play. And, our, you know, he, he just didn't get a clean play 
with, you know, with a full head of steam going down the court, Brad made it so that he couldn't get a clean look. Um, but he was without a doubt, the, the number one thing we were, we were concerned about with Patterson being second and then probably their role players were the third thing that we just, we knew we couldn't allow those guys to beat us. So when Hummerkauser had the shots he hit, th- there was some thoughts that like, yep, see, that's the guy that's <laughs> that if, if we go down, it's, it's not going to be the big guys that beat us. It's going to be that kid. So let's go back. So you're down 45-31, and then the unthinkable happens. You go on a 25-9 to run uh, to win the state championship over Ray Slagle's uh, Warriors. Uh, a guy who comes up big for you, Jason Kearns, yep. does, does not score in the first three quarters and ends up with 12 in the fourth. What do you remember about Jason's performance in the fourth? Yeah, J- Jason was uh... – Jason, obviously, Jason's brother, uh, Jim Kearns, is a guy that I ended up teaching school with for a little bit. He's still he's the head coach at Alexander High School in, in Albany, Ohio, down in southeast Ohio right now. And Jim was the school's leading scorer up until Jason Williams took it over. Uh, Jim Kearns had been state player of the year, co-player of the year with Jerry Francis in 1985, so nine years earlier. Uh, his brother, Jimmy Kearns, was a legend. And Jason wasn't, hadn't developed to that point, obviously, to the same level that, that Jimmy had. But... Uh, when Brad Leonard got hurt as a junior, Jason Kearns had to go play the point guard, and it was an uncomfortable year for Jason Kearns because he was a shooter. He was a shooter and a scorer. Um, but that year of playing a point guard for an entire season, that prepared Jason Kearns for that tournament run and especially that last 12 minutes because the Jason Kearns mentally that he was and his approach to the game as a junior couldn't have gone three quarters without scoring and still had his head in the game in the fourth. I don't think he could have done it, but having played point guard for a year and dealing with the way, you know, leading a team. Um, so we, we essentially had, you know, we really kind of had three point guards on the court at all times uh, with Aaron and Brad and, and Jason Kearns and Jason's uh, the way he, and it, we, we, we would say he stepped up in the fourth quarter, but really he, he did step up because to stay focused like that and hit the shots he hit and especially the two big free throws late um, and never lose your confidence um, he did, but the other thing that happened was, and this is where I said mentally we just locked in and came together because there was no hesitation in Brad's mind. If Jason was open, he was getting the ball. We ran our sets the way we run them. We got we we, we got the ball to him where he liked to have the ball. He just didn't happen to hit shots early uh, and late. He hit them, and like I said, I think that that Sean Sanders play that the three point play that kind of seemed to wake everybody up. I think from that point on was actually I think that was the point at which Jason scored all twelve of his points was after that. So Jason Williams, uh, player of the year, uh, ends the game with 15 points. Sean Sanders, who you mentioned, gets uh, 14. Jason Kearns finishes the night with 12. Uh, Aaron Shoemaker with nine. Uh, But a player that only had one field goal, um, Brad Leonard, one of your most important guys, as you mentioned, he was lost for that junior year. Um, What did Brad mean to this team? Brad was, at, at that point, in, in those guys' lives, um, and Brad had been that from, from, from an eighth grader. Um, he, he developed, other than Jason Williams, Jason Williams was obviously the, the leader in, in physically on the court. He was the guy because he was, you know, he was six, four, five as an eighth grader. He was huge. He was, and he was very skilled and talented for a big man. But Brad was the guy. I remember because Brad's older brother, Chad, and me and my twin brother, we grew up together. We were all in the same class. So Brad was always with us. I've known Brad it, since he could speak. And uh, when, when they were eighth graders, ninth graders, um, 
Brad was the he was the 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 demigod, so to speak. I mean, he was the, he had the confidence, he had the 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 devil may care attitude. Nothing really seemed to bother him. Oftentimes, he had he had a way of making every moment light, and 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 keeping people at ease. And he was his his, his rejoining us and taking the helm at at, at the point guard position. Um, I, to me, that was along with, I mean, the fact, like I said, the fact that he sat out his junior year, that, that helped prepare everybody else and especially prepare Jason Kearns, but him being there, the, if he's not there, I, I don't know that Jason Kearns or anybody could develop at the point guard enough to have made up for, for his absence. Um, he was just a really true leader of that team, uh, emotionally, um, he was resilient as can be when things, like I said, he, he did have one point, but, but if you, you know. Well, I'll just tell you the story of how it went. He scored one point in the state championship game, and heading into that weekend, Brad Leonard had not been recruited by a single school in Ohio, Division three or otherwise. He left that state tournament and, and about three weeks later got a scholarship offer from University of Massachusetts Lowell, a Division two school, after scoring, wow. one, after scoring one point. So his, his value and what he was on a basketball court was obvious to those who, who really know basketball. Um, and it was, uh, again, uh, you could name everybody. I mean, you saw the scoring, you know, 15, 14, 12. It, anybody could have been the MVP. Really, it was the, the, the combination of everybody was what won us. But to me, Brad was one of the linchpin pieces that, that we needed to have at the point for us to, to really do what we did. So the perfect storm um, for USV with uh, just a, a once-in-a-lifetime group of guys at a school that size Take me through the, the ending here. So, I mean, and nothing, it's not taking away anything from the Molars and the St. V's and right. the ASJs <laughs> when they win a state title. But, um, and I'm sure it, it's exhilarating for everybody involved. But at a place like USV, when that final horn sounds, um, is it just a, an absolute surreal, like a, almost an out of body experience when that final horn sounded? It was. When 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 the buzzer went off and Brad had blocked weekly shot, and and we kind of, this is the way I remember it. Even when we stormed the court, um, and again, super competent bunch of guys, bunch of experience, a community that had been to the state the year before with the girls and been to that state the weekend before and won with the girls. We're kind of in a flow of expecting these kind of things to happen, and I I just remember people hitting the court with no idea of how to what we were supposed to do like how <laughs> yeah. how do you celebrate what do you and, and it was really funny because there was this there was this dance that we had done throughout the, the season and the playoff year it actually the, the dance actually started uh well before the season it was a, a joke of a kind of a thing that brad leonard started and i remember everybody thought yeah let's do that dance right now and then even in that moment there was arguments going on like no that's going to be stupid they're going to think we're hillbillies no we can't do that no we're <laughs> no we got to do it it'll be awesome the people will remember this for 50 years and we we didn't even, <laughs> the one moment at which we didn't we weren't locked in and in, in unity and in sync <laughs> was after the buzzer went off we weren't really sure how to celebrate um and i just remember the look on bill elsaw's face um and i can't imagine the emotions he was having with having you know, the Botkins story and his backstory and, and, and all of those things. I don't know if any of that was in his mind right then or if it was the only thing on his mind, but the, the, the combination of relief and satisfaction, surprise, he, he just, he, his, his eyes and, and a little bit of a little, little open mouth with big eyes, just looking, looking straight out at the court was, 
I think that was the image of, for me that I remember was the confusion as to how do we celebrate this. And I looked at him and, and it was, there was, you know, usually the buzzer goes off, hands go up and there's screaming and yelling. And there was some of that, but I remember a lot of the, the guys on the court anyway, fans were going nuts. Fans were ready to celebrate. They probably expected it. They wanted it. Um, but on the, on the, in the team and on the coaching staff on the bench, it, it was a moment where it was like, Oh my God. And this sounds again, cliche. Did this just really happen? I know I talked to your uh, twin brother, John, one of my favorite guys in basketball, and he was telling me that mine uh, too. Those, <laughs> yeah, those two weeks were uh, the most uh, fun he has ever had uh, being involved in basketball in any way. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, as, as you pass up and down and, and pass St. John Arena, uh, the people from USV and a lot of people around the state will uh, never forget um, – that upper side of Valley team in 94 winning the state championship inside uh, St. John arena, a uh, place that I uh, really wish would uh, oh, yeah. open its doors back up. But uh, you know, that might be a dream at this point. Yeah. So. I took my little boy in there last year at state tournament. He just, my little son just turned 10 this week and, and uh, he was obviously had just turned nine last year. When we went in and we went into St. John arena. It was open. We found our way and got in there and watched and, and my son doesn't play basketball, and to be honest, I'm, I'm glad he doesn't. He plays soccer, and he plays baseball, and he loves it, and, I, and there's no pressure of me wanting to get involved heavily like I would if he played basketball. But as he sat there, he, he said, we, we went all the way to the top of St. John Arena and sat in the top in the wood chairs, and, and, and he said it. I mean, this is, this is a nine-year-old kid with no frame of reference, no memories of anything of it, doesn't even really get into basketball that much, and he's, he, he just looked over and said, like, Dad, they should play here. This is awesome. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Agreed, Ethan. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we should. <laughs> yeah. The, the the character and then just the the memories. Uh, it's almost like they talk to you uh, when you get in that place, and you're kind of shaking at the knees a little bit to think of all the all the great games in history that it took place in that in that uh, storied arena. Yep. And that's the thing about it, that, that if, you know, and you said something about people always remembering, and I don't know if people will remember much of, I go to the state tournaments every year and there's so many things I'll call my brother and ask him for details on stuff from even three or four years ago. I don't remember him. And he remembers every detail of every game ever. Um, he sure does. He does, yes. man. <laughs> I, I don't. And um, I think about that, like, you know, Unless you were there in St. John, because in it, I've never been on the court at the shot, obviously, to to win a game or lose a game, either one. But, man, the the feeling of winning in there, to me, if you weren't a fan that sat there and experienced that, and even because the, the, the visual perspective of where you sat and how it, how it was a different angle on the court and a different feel and that wood everywhere reverberated the sound in a different way, um, Man, I, I don't. I'd love to to find out. I'd love to be a part of. I'd love to ask Quincy Simpson. He's a good buddy of mine who coaches Lima Senior. I'd love to ask him what it was like on the on the Value City Arena floor, um, because to me, if you weren't there in St. John to to feel the the win, I don't know if there's a way to remember or even have any real appreciation of what it of what that felt like to do that. Well, Nick, I think uh, 